The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. Here's Brandon. Welcome back to Old Space Show. I'm Brandon, and this is my companion. Hello, hello, Tony. Back with you again to talk more wibbly-wimbly, timey-wimey stuff here. All right. This edition of Old Space Show will be exploring the time and, time and space with the adventures of Doctor Who in his seventh iteration, along with his companion Mel Bush in season 24, Sylvester McCoy's first year as... The Doctor. Today we'll be talking the second serial, Paradise Towers. In Paradise Towers, the Doctor and Mel decide to visit the appropriately named Paradise Towers, a residential complex that promises a peaceful life to its residents. However, the establishment is far from what its name suggests. A conflict persists among the Kings, a human-esque multicolor beings who gather in opposing gangs based on which color of the rainbow they wear. Furthermore, killer cleaning robots prowl the halls, and a secret in the complex's basement poses the greatest threat of all. All right, this is directed by Nicholas Mallet, who had directed uh, the Trial of the Time Lord segment, Mysterious Planet, and will go on to direct what many might argue is the best Sylvester McCoy serial, Curse of Fenric. That's a that's a top tier one for Fizera. Um so this guy's got the chops. Uh, it's written by Stephen Wyatt, who will go on to write Greatest Show in the Galaxy in the next the, the finale for the next season. And stars Sylvester McCoy, Bonnie Langford, Richard Briers, Cliver Marison, Elizabeth Spriggs, Brenda Bruce, Judy Cornwell, Howard Cook, Julie Brennan, Annabelle Urisha, Catherine Cusack, and Astra Sheridan. Uh, Clive Marison, in this cast, had been in Tomb of the Cybermen in 1967. Though in 1987, when this aired, you could not watch Tomb of the Cybermen. It was missing. Uh, Tomb of the Cybermen would be found and returned and shown to the public in 1990. It was a big one. That was like a legendary missing episode where people were like, oh, this is like... This is like the greatest thing. It'll change. Oh, you thought Star Wars was cool? You haven't seen Tomb of the Cybermen. And then Tomb of the Cybermen came back, and I think at first people were like, oh, this is okay, but it, it's a really good serial, I, I think. Yeah. But I you know, I wasn't at the time where I was like in the in the mix of Who fandom that I would have known, oh, this is a big deal, Tomb of the Cybermen. Well, it's, I mean, and, and it's funny, too, because like you expect there to be like, I mean, the show's been on for 24 years, like mm-hmm. obviously in the first few, you know, in the early years in the you know 60s and things like that, like you expect there to be missing things from there, but not necessarily, you know, later on in the series, like you figure like you would get this stuff figured out by then. So things yeah. shouldn't go missing like that. But I mean, they didn't, they didn't stop deleting till like Tom Baker started. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, like mid to late 70s. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> you have a show that's like historic for you and you're still just Wiping tapes to save space. This is crazy. Uh, if not for Terry Jones, we might not have Flying Circus because he went and 
yoinked those from the BBC. So yeah. smart man, uh, smart man. Um, so Paradise Towers, it's uh, uh, expired by the novel High Rise. Um, Andrew Cartmill's first story that he commissions here is is this one. Um, long way up. Uh, and then there's a uh, one of the actors, uh, Eurisha. She she I only I only know this because um, her only other credit is uh, she played Pat in Unmasked Part Twenty Five, which is a uh, UK like parody movie for Friday the Thirteenth type thing. <laughs> um, it uses Jason and everything not by name. He goes overseas to just relax and unwind and kill people. But yeah, um, so this one Paradise Towers. I don't know how you feel about Tony, but this is a story I appreciate in concept and idea more than its execution. But over the years, and I've seen this one multiple times, like I mentioned the last one, maybe my least favorite season Doctor Who, yet I've watched it more than a lot of other Doctor Who. Um, I've warmed to it a lot. Um, and I never mind like going back and give it another shot. I don't know why, but um, yeah. Sorry for the Paradise yeah. Towers. I agree. I mean, I, I hesitate to use a word that sounds as harsh as as filler, but, but it definitely feels like. And I mean, this was a this was a this was a story that was written essentially for a different doctor. This mm-hmm. this was not necessarily written with Sylvester McCoy in mind, uh, as we kind of outlined in the last episode. You know, there was some of this transition, and I mean, it, it feels like it it could be a story that you could insert largely anywhere in the doctor who mythos and that's not necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. but it definitely doesn't it uh being sylvester's second story his, his his second go as he's relatively fresh and new to audiences i don't think it did him any favors in that regard yeah it's got a really dumb setup where it's like mel wants to go swimming right of like, all the things in the universe to do to go swimming <laughs> it doesn't help people's love like it doesn't help people love mel anymore it doesn't help the show sound like it's going for like oh let's go swimming at the paradise towers because the TARDIS has right. a pool but it's broken or out of order <laughs> at yes. this time um and this the the area the paradise towers the set and the way they film it and everything we talk about the public access aspect of it but this feels like it looks like a laser tag arena and that we're watching some tournament on Nickelodeon or something like that. Sure. Um, yeah. I have a fondness for this kind of look, but I understand how people might not be able to just lose themselves in it. Um, right. I do. It's, I, it's yeah. It's, it's hard when you say when, when the whole setup of your story is, we're going to go to one of the fanciest places in the whole galaxy. And I understand mm-hmm. when they get there, it's been kind of trashed on purpose with, you know, with, with intention based on the story, but you don't get any sort of vibe that this is any sort of like this, this feels like the tower of the apartment complex downtown that was great in the eighties. And now is just still there. Right. Like you, right. you, you, you get that vibe. It's like, this isn't not even remotely what they're trying to say it was at any point in its history. So Right. No. Yeah. It's what has happened to this place in this time. And that's the mystery. Um, kind of cool setup and stuff, but it's just some of the look of it. The, some of the performances are a bit too goofy to really engage, which this is trying to get back to family television or, um, you know, a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, Colin Baker's first season got really violent and they tried to pivot with his second one. And here we are again with that, um, that kind of vibe. 
Um, although it's a dark story, it's told in such a light manner. Um, bouncy, uh, poofy. Uh, I mean, we have the Kangs here. Uh, we wear red. We wear blue. I don't like you. What happened to yellow? Yellow's gone. Um, right. And like, and, and you may think that like initially at, at, at first crack, you're like, oh, it's a color thing. Like this is like a subtle racial thing. I don't even yeah. think according to what I've read, I'm not even sure that the colors were in there until Cartmel was like, you know what? We need some more different no, it was, yeah. groups. So <laughs> let's, let's, uh, you know, give them some rainbows and then see what happens. So give some visual s- simplicity to it. Yeah, no, that's exactly, right. that is exactly what happened. Um, and they have names like bin liner, um, fire escape. <laughs> uh, and they're kind of like, the, so there's this group, on a ship that was passing by, there's like a war going on and the youngs were dropped off and the olds were dropped off. And there's the in-betweens and they're supposed to be out fighting this war. Um, while everybody hangs at paradise towers and decides to fight themselves. I, this is a very, like, I, I know that uh, Douglas Adams didn't write this one. He wrote some other uh, uh, Doctor Who scripts, but this is a very shades of, for any of you Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fans out there, this is this is shades of um, when uh, there was a, there's a planet called Golgofrigium where they sent out um, arcs, and on the A arc was all the people that you know they're they're like okay they're like we're gonna have the A arc with all of the really fancy like uh, you know uh, geniuses, and and the B arc is gonna be like celebrities and people we can't live without, and the C arc is gonna be like the telephone cleaners and and the garbage men and they're like the sea arc you you guys go first and we'll see you there and <laughs> not the other arcs because they just wanted to get rid of all the crappy people ostensibly right. in their society and then of course the big joke is that their society died because of a virus that came out of dirty phones because there's no phone cleaners around and oh. <laughs> but but this is what that feels like of, of, of this vibe of dropping off mm-hmm. the unwanted section of the population and just letting them have at it and they all happen to be women. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. maybe there's a not so subtle reference there that they didn't didn't intend to make, right. but they still made it. <laughs> but hey, I mean, you're casting a lot of female role. You're filling it with females, which while you know Tom Baker in the um, his original three season runs, one of my favorites. Not a lot of women roles in those, even in the extras or the background actors. So that's something that's got over that. Um, you know, having some casting with you know multi-gendered casting who knew um but yeah but we also have the caretakers uh they are kind of these almost nazi dressed guys that monitor the place um and you have these resis which are the old ladies that are cannibals and then you have the cleaners which are these robots that kill people or take them away to be killed um but that's what who populates the paradise towers Right. And that, and that really, to me, the cleaners, like, I, I love the, like, that's a great unique aspect of like, mm-hmm. oh, robots who, you know, had like maybe a purpose at one point and kind of, you know, got their programming altered or whatever. But like that, it, it just slips back into that very generic, like mantra of the week, like we have right. to have something to fight against. And, you know, and I get that, like, that's what drives the plot. But it feels like it's like, oh, couldn't we couldn't we have done this any differently than yet another killer robot, you know, like, uh, it just same same thing different week but uh but right. I, I mean i get it i just i i don't have a solution i'm not here to offer solutions i'm just here to complain about things so. right 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 and it looks like a repurposed monster from uh trial of the time lord from mysterious planet uh there's something kind of similar to that um used in there and here we are again with a claws and you know something you can easily run from but manages yeah. to catch up to everybody but 
the joy of you know multi-cam British low-budget sci-fi television. Certainly. Yes. Well, speaking of low budget and being repurposed, this is something I knew during my rewatch of this of this episode. I wanted to look specifically for because after I had initially watched this years and years and years ago, I read somewhere that if you watch in the Kang's lair where they had all the barrels and like all the grimy mm-hmm. stuff, someone was like, if you look closely at those barrels, you will see that they painted over and did a very poor job of painting over the Wayland Utah yes. logos from the Alien series. And you go back and you look and it is there. It's like there. It's not, yeah. Like it's not like it's right in your face. You're like, oh, yep. my God, there it is. <laughs> yeah. There's alien and aliens props in this from being used. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. That's why there's a history of Doctor <sighs> Who and props from other big known like there's Star Wars stuff. Or there's actually sure. Doctor Who stuff that appeared in Star Wars that was in Doctor Who first. Um, there's also James Bond. Uh, props and things you could do a whole probably coffee table book or you know documentary on repurposed things that appear in doctor who that have been in uh very notable places as well yep. that, that's a cool thing to someone <laughs> has time to research can do that and i can enjoy it though i'd love to i don't have the time no um, but yeah so yeah there's this battle going on there's people disappearing um, there's a guy named Pex who's an in-between that takes up Mel when they get separated to uh, walk around. And the doctor is uh, mistaken for the great architect, um, who is actually Croagnon, who speaks to the chief uh, that runs this place, um, whose performance has been derided over all these years because um, the guy goes big. He goes very big in this. Uh, that doesn't really bother me, but I... I I know a lot of people that's that's one of the things that comes up with Paradise Towers is the chief's performance. Yeah, I mean, I can see that and again, it's the you know, not to not to generalize it, but it's the 80s it is what it is. I mean, it's not like it me, doesn't fit what has come with time in the our uh, time in the Ronnie yeah. and then this. Like You no, you're 100% right. Yeah. Like, we're going to pick this guy out. <laughs> right, of all the of all the things to nitpick. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um but there are there are a lot there are plenty of pluses in here. I do like when um, the doctor meets the Kangs and they have that kind of figuring out the exchange of greetings. And I'm like, you know, this is something you'd think would happen more often on Doctor Who. And this feels yeah. like one of the first times it's happened, or first times in a long time that this exchange has had to happen, where they have to figure out a common ground to get a message of just hello. Across. Sure. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot. This isn't a Doctor Who problem, a sci-fi problem in general, and it's 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 swept under the rug a lot with universal translators mm-hmm. or things like that. But yeah, I mean, there's you know, even even if you have a way to understand someone, like if you know, I mean, think of present day of all the different ways there is to say right. hi to somebody. Like if you didn't know, even if you could speak my language, if you'd never heard the phrase sup before like you don't know what am i what i'm asking you for right. am i short am i shorthand asking you to dinner like am i saying hello like you don't yeah. know you know so and yeah we, i get it we're interdimensional time and space like the wave isn't doesn't mean an alien knows kangs aren't they're humanoid but they aren't human human like we know on earth so and they right. obviously are from a future like it's just all these things that i i'd like you know you should think about writing. You shouldn't think too much about. It. You should get it down and just whatever. Sometimes, but it's it's a it's a nice, distinct, and specific thing that I appreciate when it does happen. And like, oh wow, they really thought you know, in something as dopey as Paradise Towers, that this 
really nice piece of writing comes through is is pretty nifty. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, like yeah, the Kangs, which the Doctor, we mostly have the red Kangs. We see the blue worshiping something early on, but they don't come through till it's about time to hey, we need to work together on things. Um, and uh, we mentioned last time uh, that the uh, during the season uh, they'd be searching for a replacement for Bonnie Langford. I believe one of the Red Kangs was a potential early in the process. I don't know if through casting or anything else they thought of that, but there there was an idea that one of these Kang Red Kangs would come along with the Doctor and Mel, and Mel would bow out, and the Kang would be the new companion. But that they don't go with it here. So. Maybe maybe they felt it was a little too early on in the process. I don't mm-hmm. know, but um, they yeah, just I mean, weren't it's, sold on whoever that was in the cast or something. But yeah, that's possible too. Well, because they, like you said, there's red and blue kings. There were there was a yellow faction, but the yellow faction was defeated prior to we see the last. Doctor's that's arrival. how we open. Yeah, that's right. Yep. So and then that that's of course at the, why at the end of the episode, the doctor when they give him the scarf with the red and the blue on the back, they're like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, forget forget yellow, yellow. You can't you can't survive an episode. You don't get to be on the scarf. So what right, right, <laughs> yes, yep, yep. When the doctor becomes one of them, he's not one of the yellows. He's still got to prove himself to the yellow kings if they ever come back or resurface. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, there's the the and then there's the the resis, the the old women who. I feel like we jumped into a completely different show here and Mel is they they want to eat Mel. Um, and I believe these two actresses are from something else in the UK. Like it's a notable casting bit, um, but they don't make it to episode three, but um, there's a lot. Yeah. Like you talk about filler and waste of time. Everything that happens with them should have happened in the first visit with Mel, but yet we have two, two to three separate visits with the, the resis. Well, they, they actually yeah. get their, own bit of story uh, where there's a friend of theirs that comes to visit, but we have Mel visit once and it's like, okay, okay. They're going to eat her. Nope. She's gone. Okay. That was all right. Then they meet a friend and then Mel comes back and then it happens. Like this really could be done in one visit. Right. Well, this is what we, we touched on this in the last episode, speaking about how a lot of these four part serials could have conceivably been three parters. And Mm -hmm. I think that, yeah, like you said, you know, the, the filler aspect of 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 this, it, it felt like a very, it felt very disconnected from the rest of the episode. That's kind of yep. one of one of my biggest, uh, as I think about Paradise Towers, one of my biggest thematic issues is that a lot of it feels more convoluted or unnecessary than it has to be. Same thing with all the different, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, the architect and he, you know, re- reports to this guy, and then the, there, there, there's a lot, there's a lot of backstory which I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't disprove of backstory, but sometimes it feels like it's just there for the sake of filling minutes on a screen. And that's, that's where it's, it's not enjoyable. Right. Right. Yeah. And then with Crow Agnon takes a while, like he's just these glowing eyes and we could have gotten to him possessing the chief a little bit faster and have the chief, you know, do more things or be more menacing rather than, all right, time's up. Let him go. Let him go nuts. Right. Um, but yeah. And there's of course the, the the weirdness of uh, the lack of urgency with Mel in this whole story is kind of weird because she's there. There's the danger of the the Kangs. Then she sees the Doctor getting taken away by the um, the uh, the guys watching the place, the caretakers. Uh, but yet she meets Pex, and she's like, "Well, I got to get to this pool. 
Oh my gosh, I got to get to the pool. Listen, when you want to swim, you want to swim. There's not a lot of space in the old head for anything else when you're focused on uh, on getting your swim on. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And then they, they she gets to the pool and she gets in and then there's like a little crab robot thing in there that's a, a cleaner itself. Right. It's kind of cute. So they, and, well, and I guess, yeah, it is kind of cute, even though, again, it kind of functions, you know, it's it's an extension of the cleaners being the ostensible bad guys. Uh, yes. Um, you know, reading some notes, I guess in the original script, the pool was meant to be infested by a mutated monster. Right. But they decided through revisions and also budgeting, they're like, it's too, that's too much. That's another element we don't need. You know, we can't afford a monster suit. So let's just make it a uh, an aquatic version of the cleaners and just mm. call it a day. So Right. Yeah. So and she ends up shooting it, and we find out Pex Pex this guy um, is kind of a coward. He was supposed to be played by a more muscular person, hence the name Pex, which was supposed to be ironic <laughs> that that guy was such a coward. But Pex has an arc here where you know he's a stowaway. He didn't want to go fight the war, and so all the Kangs make fun of him. Uh, and he with Mel, he kind of becomes who they say he is, despite. Um, her just like, hey, you can be whoever you want because I don't know you. Um, but then in the end, he sacrifices himself to save the day. Another story that ends with a sacrifice to explosion to save the day, um, just like the previous one. And he, you know, they, they, um, the Kangs are known as wall scrawlers. So they take their color and they graffiti the, the walls um, and they scrawl Pex Lives as one of our last images seen in this. Um, so he does have a nice little arc himself Pexlis. It, it almost felt like they were they were trying to set something up for coming back at some point did mm-hmm. you know did, did he really die or is that was is, is you know was, was is that more thematic of like his ideals live on or did he really die i guess but uh but they obviously never came back to it i guess they did consider um they had thought about writing a sequel to the story but they wanted to focus as well they should on the kings yes. which is by far and away the most in, intriguing part of this story but right. i guess the sequel would have taken the kings and sent them to boarding school which i think sounds hilarious and i, I <laughs> i'm shocked that like big big fish wouldn't you know uh, wouldn't wouldn't go on on an audio right. on this i mean that yeah. sounds great sign me up <laughs> right oh can yeah yeah, I try to think of a clever uh, pun title, but it's not coming to me with the Kangs. But. Yeah, I would need to. I would need some time to think on it. But but if 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 they uh, you know if they wanted to take Pex Lives as a more literal translation, he could be he could be like the surprise, like like the wizard behind the curtain, headmaster of the school or something. Right so. there, you go. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, that's. <laughs> too good, too good. Um, let's get fan, uh, fan, fan writing here. <laughs> uh, let's get to our uh, cliffhangers here. Um, the first one is just the caretaker merely saying that the doctor should be killed. Then that that doesn't really result That's in much in the again. next one. Um, <laughs> and then the caretakers are breaking the down down the door for the at the Kangs, uh, while Tabby and Tilda want to eat Mel. They put her in a net. So that's one as to that. And, cliffhanger episode two and then uh the cleaner grabs the doctor by the throat in episode three gasp all these yeah all these things that seem they're like we gotta yeah we I mean, we've gotta end on something big like something serious has to happen well, let's threaten to kill a doctor let's you know put a yep. claw around his throat like i mean things that you don't really think are going to be serious business yeah. but you got to do something you got to end it somewhere um yeah, no. and get to the 
That's right. That's what you got to do. Um, Next time. But yeah, this one uh, it has it has ideas and stuff. I oh the score. So with this one and time and the Ronnie, uh, the scores here. I, I don't. They, they feel like they were done by people who made scores for like arcade games in the late '80s and early '90s. It's got like that intense sound. That's like very yes, very very synth heavy. Very mm-hmm. yeah, like a sense of urgency under underneath everything. Yes. Yeah, like I, I feel like I'm playing like a game at. Yeah, you know, for me, it would have been the Roller Dome. Uh, yes, there you go. Back in like uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh, Absolutely. Would have been there playing my arcade games or a Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz. Showbiz Pizza. Showbiz, that's right. Showbiz. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, this one, I, I don't know. Like, I, I want to like this a lot more. I recognize all the faults, but I, I can't help but revisit it all the time thinking about I, I tend to do that with things like where could we go better or what is good about this and stuff like that so um, sure. not the strongest I, I do like I like it better than time in the Ronnie um, but we're still this is probably like in the McCoy era this is probably uh, just if the time in the Ronnie is the bottom this one's right on top of it so yeah and, and I mean uh, too you well, have we're to, getting I mean, better <laughs> you are we're moving in the right direction right, slowly right. but surely but yeah, you have to take kind of with a grain of salt the fact that again, this was this was not written for Sylvester McCoy, right. and this is very early in that process where he was kind of thrown into the mix. And I know, you know, he probably still had some reservations about: Am I doing this mm-hmm. right? Are we are we getting the vibe we want? And the good thing I think we touched on this last episode too is that you know, like um, uh, he is more willing to improvise or do things on the fly than Colin Baker was. So that opens him up to being able to find, I think his footing and find the seventh doctor's voice, if you will, Mm -hmm. a little bit, a little bit more easily than if you were like, no, we're just going to do what it says and whatever it is, it is, you know, like he was willing to experiment and kind of go down this winding path of, of figuring out how he could be the best doctor he could be. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, like you said, this season, 14 episodes in 32 days. That's not a lot of time. No, jeez, that's it's crazy. Crazy. So, uh, but yeah, they do what they can. But uh, Tony, uh, I believe it's time to reset the TARDIS uh, coordinates and get us on to our next adventure in time and space. Till then, when can people keep up with you? Well, the easiest way is probably to swing by uh, sciencefiction.com. I am the senior editor there, and I am always posting uh, reviews and news stories, a lot of opinion pieces where you probably would love to come and disagree with me in the comments, and that's totally fine. So come do that. Uh, if you want to catch me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, it's just at Tony Schaub, and we can be friends that way too. He's asking you to rip him a new one, I believe. Please. All right. Uh, <laughs> hashtag Kang Colors. That's with two Ks. Um, not three, just two. <laughs> Just two. Just two. Uh, and I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brandon4KUHD. Written work at YSOBlue.com. There is more from the Brandon Peters Show this week. You love that summer of 82 at 40. Keep on, keep on doing it. But from old space. Somewhere there's danger. Somewhere there's injustice. And somewhere else, the tea's getting cold. Come on, Brandon. We've got work to do. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Olsman. Theme song by Metavari. 
Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.